This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Hey, it is really, uh, it really is good to be with you this evening. Um, uh, so thank you, Lewis. Uh, thanks, uh, Johnny's out there somewhere, and, and Travis and, and Rachel and the team. Really thankful to God for how He's been at work in this church uh, and how He's been at work uh, in this church over many years. Um, I've um, I grew up on the Central Coast. I'm now, uh, I live in Brisbane and I've been outside of the Central Coast for about 15 years now, but uh, driving around still feels like home. I've, I'm in town this weekend because my mum turns 80 tomorrow, so we had a banging 80th birthday party yesterday, as banging as 80th birthday parties can be, uh, but that was a, a really, really good time. Um, but I, I grew up, my dad was once a Baptist pastor, and so I grew up in like Boys Brigade. Has anyone heard of Boys Brigade? Uh, there's a few people out there who still have. Um, I used to be at the one up in Tookley Gorican, um, and we used to have mini cricket matches all over the Central Coast. So I remember coming to Narara and defeating Narara uh, every single time we played uh, this mini cricket. It was it was better than real cricket. Just putting it out there. But hey, um, uh, I as well as um, as being a, a, a dad and a soccer coach and a uh, and uh, a pastor of a church up in Brisbane. I work with Open Doors. Uh, Open Doors uh, is a wonderful ministry, and many of you may know that the CEO of Open Doors Australia and New Zealand, Adam Holland, is part of this church. Uh, he's regularly here in the morning. He was here this morning, and I think he often comes at night times as well. Uh, and um, I'm really thankful to God for him, and you should be thankful to God for him. Uh, he is leading a significant ministry that's impacting people all around the world, and you as his home church are a significant part of his grounding in the Word uh, and his encouragement in a local church that actually encourages our team in Australia, New Zealand, and actually the global church. Uh, and so any times you get to encourage him, please encourage him. Um, he is part of a, a really important work, and so are you, as you support him, as you encourage him, uh, as you continue to be a great local church here uh, on the Central Coast. But hey, um, if you aren't familiar, who's heard of Open Doors before? Lots of people have. Some hands didn't go up, but Open Doors, um, why, why does Open Doors exist? Uh, well, Open Doors exists, as you can see on the screen, to help people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. Uh, we're all about Jesus, and we desperately want to particularly strengthen and support the most persecuted Christians around the world. Uh, Open Doors as a ministry has been going for almost 70 years. Uh, there's a Dutch missionary named Brother Andrew who, off the back of the Second World War, uh, he kind of started smuggling Bibles from Western Europe across the Iron Curtain into Eastern Europe uh, to Christians who were living under oppressive communist regimes who were really struggling in their faith, who didn't have access to the Bible, and he was, uh, and the ministry that came out of his witness and his work, uh, a significant part of not only getting the Bible uh, into the hands of persecuted believers, but encouraging persecuted believers to be strengthened and to keep trusting Jesus no matter the cost. Uh, did you know that right now, roughly uh, one in seven Christians, or three in four Christians in the Middle East, are, and that's about 360 million of our brothers and sisters on the planet. Um, they suffer high to extreme levels of persecution simply because they belong to Jesus. 
Um, it's it's a massive need uh, and there's a a massive cost that many of our family uh, pay because they're followers of Jesus. You know, at times we might be separated by borders, by time, by denominations, but ultimately there's only one body of Christ. Uh, there's, there's only one uh, body of Christ. We're all part of the one family. And so when one part suffers, we all suffer. Uh, and when one part rejoices, we all rejoice. Uh, and so I think um, we need the persecuted church uh, and they need us. Um, on, your, um, on some of the chairs, I don't think they're quite on every single chair, but you'll find a little postcard uh, that looks like this. Uh, on one side of it, it talks about giving a Bible. Smuggling Bibles continues to be a significant part of what we do. Uh, the Bible is still illegal in 54 countries in the world, um, and so we continue to get the Bible into the hands of persecuted believers and also people who aren't yet believers. Uh, we are seeing through our ministry and our ministry partners across the world, uh, people becoming Christian in some of the most difficult places. Um, today we're looking across the, the morning service and the evening service uh, to raise enough money for 80 Bibles to go into the persecuted church. That's $20 per Bible. I uh, had a whole bunch of people respond this morning, but still more opportunities tonight. Uh, and so if you're in a position to give over and above your regular giving towards this church and towards other mission you might be supporting, uh, please, can you do that? Uh, you can action that via the QR code up on the screen. There's also the, the, the URL that finishes with NVBC. Uh, that'll be up on the screen the whole time tonight. Uh, or you can grab it off the postcard or come and see me out at the info desk. And I think if you tap on the... Um, the FPOS machine too, you can give uh, via that. But hey, look, more than actually raising money for Bibles, that's really critical. I hope that tonight you'll be encouraged to keep learning the stories of persecuted believers and commit yourself to praying for them. Uh, and so the other side of the car, but prayer, car, card, but prayer is powerful, uh, QR code and link up on the screen. You can sign up for our free uh, regular prayer updates. You can get them in the post or you can get them via email. Uh, I would love as many people as possible to sign up for that uh, so that you can not only learn the stories, uh, but pray for our brothers and sisters. Hey, who, um, who's keen to dig into God's Word tonight? Three people over here. Uh, who's keen to dig into God's Word tonight? There we go, three over here, two over here, well done, this is good. Why don't we, uh, we've prayed a couple of times, why don't we pray one more time and ask that God would speak to us now. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that you are a God who speaks. Father, thank you that every single week in churches around the world, uh, as your people gather, uh, whether that's here in Australia, uh, whether that's in an underground church, in an undisclosed location, Father, you are present among your people in your word and by your spirit. And so, Father, thank you for this word that we can read together now. May your Holy Spirit illuminate this word, giving us eyes to see it, ears to understand it. And Father, give us a will to put it into practice. And Father, we pray this boldly and confidently because Jesus is alive and all of God's people said, Amen. What does it cost to be a follower of Christ? What does it cost to be a follower of Christ? Uh, Can we expect to be casual disciples, casual followers, enjoying a comfortable and safe Christianity? Or does discipleship, that is, being a follower of Jesus, does it come with discomfort and danger? The question we're going to consider tonight is, what does it cost to be a follower of 
Christ. And to answer that question and kind of get a realistic expectation of what it means to follow Christ, we're going to turn to two places. Uh, First, and most obviously, we're going to turn to the Gospels. We're going to turn to Jesus. We're going to listen to Jesus who teaches us what it costs to be one of his followers. But then secondly, we're going to turn to our persecuted family around the world who demonstrate what it costs as they take seriously the teaching of Jesus and count the cost and follow Jesus no matter the cost. You know, at Open Doors, we believe that the persecuted church can be one of the most significant discipleship mentors uh, in your Christian faith. Uh, And so I hope and trust you will hear the word of Jesus, but I also hope and trust you will see ordinary brothers and sisters in difficult places following Jesus no matter the cost. You got the question we're asking? What does it cost to be a follower of Christ. Uh, If you've got a Bible, keep it out and keep it open and turn with me to Luke chapter 9. If you've got a digital Bible, Luke chapter 9, I'm about to begin in verse 18. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Feel free to use that one or feel free to follow along with your version of choice. Uh, But we're going to ask the question and answer the question, what does it cost to be a follower of Christ? Now, I'll give you the, I'll give you the, the three things we're going to kind of look at as we work through these two paragraphs. Um, and feel free to take notes now or take notes as we go. The, the headings will also be on the screen throughout. But the three things we're going to look at, number one is the Christ, number two is the call, and number three is the confidence. The Christ, the call, and the confidence. Who's ready for the first one? There we go. We've got two people on this side and about half a person over here. Who's, who's ready for the first one? There we go. Come on. I was told this was an interactive service. Uh, here's the first one. Uh, the first thing to notice is the Christ. Uh, Luke chapter 9, we're going to see the identity of Christ, the, the, the answer to the question of who is he? Pick it up with me. In Luke chapter 9, verse 18, it says, Now it happened that as Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Uh, This is an important moment. This is kind of Jesus taking a snap poll to determine the voice of the people regarding who they think he is. And up until this point in Luke's gospel, it's been a key question. Who is this man? The wind and the waves obey him. He's driving out demons, teaching with authority, forgiving sin and suggesting that he's allowed to do that. Who is this man? That's the question on everyone's lips. Uh, And so Jesus puts out this snap poll and the answers are basically, well, he's someone religious, he's someone pretty significant, maybe there's even something miraculous. One of these prophets has come back from the dead, like there's a recognition that Jesus is significant, but then he turns it from a general question uh, for the voice of the people out there and focuses the question in particular on his disciples. Have a look at verse 20, then he said to them, but who do you say? That I am. And Peter answered, The Christ of God. The Christ of God. Now, what does it mean uh, for Jesus to be the Christ of God? What is that language even talking about? Uh, if you're new to Jesus and Christianity, welcome. And you might be just thinking, that's really obvious. His name's Jesus Christ. So, like his mum is Mrs. Christ and his dad is Mr. Christ. And Christ is just his last name, right? 
Wrong. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title. Uh, and the, the Christ was the king. The Christ is the Messiah or the anointed one. And Jesus isn't the first Christ. There were other kings uh, anointed ones, Christs, Messiahs in the Old Testament. But when we talk about the Christ of God, we're talking about the King of Kings who would one day come. We're talking about the Lord of Lords who would one day come. And so the expectation for Jewish listeners, for those who had grown up with the Old Testament, was that one day a Christ would come who'd be like no other Christ, who'd be like no other king, who would set the kingdom right, who would topple the Roman occupying forces, who would restore order and prosperity to God's people. That was the expectation of the the one who would come to restore the hopes of Israel and indeed the hopes of Israel the world. That was the expectation of what it would mean for for the Christ to come. Now quickly, have a look at verse 21. We've learned that Peter says he is the Christ of God. And then verse 21, and Jesus strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. Do you know what Jesus is doing right there? Jesus is confirming that, yeah, you got it right, Peter. Yes, I am the Christ. And, And so Jesus confirms he is the Christ And then immediately after confirming that he is the Christ, he's going to explain what type of Christ he will be. And what does he say? Have a look at verse 22. Saying that the Son of Man, that's another way of him referring to himself, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus says, yeah, I am the Christ, But let me tell you what it's going to mean for me to be the Christ. I am going to suffer. I am going to be rejected. And I am going to be killed. Now, this is totally outside of the expectations of what people thought the Christ would come to do. Now, in the other Gospels, Matthew and Mark in particular, you see at this point, Peter even says, he rebukes Jesus. Jesus, what are you talking about? That's not what it means for you to be the Christ. And remember what Jesus says in a counter-rebuke back to Peter. Does anyone remember? Get behind me, Satan. Uh, and, And so Peter is expecting, well, hang on, the Christ doesn't suffer and die. He comes to conquer and to restore. And yet Jesus says, no, 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 this is why I have come. This is central to my mission, is that the Christ in this world will come and the way in which he'll restore the fortunes of Israel, the way in which he'll restore the fortunes of all people across the world is actually the path of suffering, the pathway that leads to the cross. Just after this, Jesus is actually going to set his face towards Jerusalem. He's about to walk the path, to go to the cross. You see, for Jesus to be the Christ... He not only rules and reigns, but he comes to suffer and he comes to die. Why? Why does the Christ come to suffer? Well, this is central to his mission. We've sung about it in a number of the songs already, in that wonderful song, My King Forever, where we've sung about, you gave your life for mine, nailed to the cross. You crucified all my sin and shame. It was washed by your mercy. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, not only is he the the Christ who is the king, but he is the suffering servant. He is the sinless saviour. He's the only one of whom it can be said he is without sin. And Jesus, when he goes to the cross, dies a death 
for sin, for sinners, for our shame, for our guilt, for our judgment. Jesus goes to the cross to pay it all. Jesus not only lives the perfect life on our behalf, but he dies a sacrificial death in our place for our sin at the cross. That's good news, amen? That's the heart of the gospel that we believe, the heart of the love that God has shown to us by sending his son into the world, that he would be, yes, the Christ, but the Christ who would suffer and die. You see, for Jesus... He talks about, and on the third day be raised. We know, we've read this book, right? We know that Jesus' death could not hold him down. We know he is victorious over sin, Satan, and the devil. And yet, before the, uh, the cross came before the crown. Death would come before resurrection. Suffering would come before glory. You see, in response to the question of who, who is this man? Who is Jesus? Who do you say that I am? Jesus says, I am the Christ. And Jesus says, this is what it means for me to be the Christ. I will suffer and die at the cross and after three days be raised from the dead. Look, who do you think Jesus is? Have you seen that Jesus is the Christ and have you seen what type of Christ he will be? Look, if you're here this evening and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, welcome. Please keep coming along. Uh, keep coming and investigating the claims of Jesus. But this here, the death and resurrection of Jesus, the death of Jesus for sinners at the cross is at the heart of what Christ has done, of what, uh, at the heart of why he has come. And I'd invite you to see that in Jesus, he has everything that you need, that we all need. So number one, we, we, we've seen that Jesus is the Christ. And this is important because in understanding what it means to follow the Christ, we need to understand what it meant for Jesus to be the Christ so that we can follow him. And so we move from Jesus is the Christ to the call of Jesus, which is the call of discipleship. It's the call of, of what it will mean and what it will look like to be one of his followers, to come after him like him. The call is all about counting the cost of discipleship. Counting the cost, it's a little bit like when you do your homework before you sign a major contract. When you do your homework before you, um, you read the terms and the conditions before kind of signing your life away. Not like when you sign up for an online account and you, you know you have to tick the box, I've read all the terms and conditions. Who's ever done that? None of us have for signing up for an email address or signing our life away to TikTok or, or whatever it is. We just kind of click it and just go and use it. But um, if you buy a house, if you're going to do something a little bit bigger and you've got a mortgage, um, you read it, you get a, a, solicit, a lawyer to read it and you kind of really want to make sure you know what you're, you're signing up for. What are the terms and the conditions? Jesus is about to give us the terms and conditions that are critical, that we read them and understand them as we decide whether we're going to follow Jesus. And so this is actually important for all of us. If you are a follower of Jesus, these are the terms and conditions of what it will cost you to be a follower of Jesus. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, Jesus wants to be up front and say, hey, this is actually going to be fairly costly to sign up to Team Jesus and to be one of his disciples. In Luke chapter 9, critical verse, verse 23. Uh, this is, if you've, if you've got your Bible open, this is a verse to highlight uh, but it's also a daunting verse when we highlight it as we seek to take it seriously. What does it say? And Jesus said to all, 
If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That sentence is packed with what it means to follow the call, to count the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. The first phrase there, if anyone. What Jesus is saying is non-negotiable for all who want to be his followers. What does he say? He says, there's three things in there, isn't there? They must deny themselves. That's a big deal, isn't it? I think the kind of the cultural mood that we read and we hear and we just kind of breathe, the advertising we see, the way that education systems encourage us to um, think is that we are at the centre of the universe, right? Life, right, make decisions that make you happy. It's all about you. You're at the centre. You do you. Be your authentic self. There's this constant pandering to be yourself. And yet Jesus says the opposite. The the, the reality is our authentic self has earned us hell. Because left to ourselves, when we put ourselves at the centre, we reject God's will for our lives. Jesus says, well, you want to follow after me, stop putting yourself number one. Deny yourself. And more than that, what does he say next? He says, take up their cross daily. The daily expectation of being a follower of Jesus is that life will be now cross-shaped, cruciform. Our, Our lives will actually include suffering because we're followers of Jesus. If you've ever heard the invitation, hey, come to Jesus and everything will be okay and life will be wealthy and healthy and prosperous and you won't have any more issues in this life, it's rubbish. That's not the teaching of Jesus. Jesus says, if you come to me, it'll involve suffering. You take up your cross. You walk the path of crucifixion. It'll be a little bit uncomfortable, right? Have you read anything about taking up crosses? Have you read anything about crucifixion? Following Jesus is inconvenient. It hurts. It's noticeable. It's uncomfortable. It's suffering as Christ has first suffered for us. So he says, deny yourselves, take up your cross daily, and then thirdly, follow me. Follow me. Jesus now is number one. You deny yourself so that you can put the person who's supposed to be in charge in their rightful place in your life. You see, we trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus, but then we live like him as we pursue that life of death and of resurrection. And so if for Jesus, the cross-shaped life meant the cross comes before the crown, death comes before resurrection, and suffering comes before glory, followers of Jesus, the same thing will be the case. The cross comes before the crown, death comes before resurrection, and suffering comes before glory. The end of last year, I had the incredible honour to join some of our Open Doors uh, Australia and New Zealand team on a life-changing trip to Egypt. This is a photograph of the very smog-filled city of Cairo. We had um, the incredible privilege to meet a whole bunch of persecuted Christians 
of those that are constantly discriminated against and persecuted, living under the threat of great violence. We met the surviving family members of martyrs who lost their lives for the sake of Christ. Uh, we also got to learn and see firsthand the incredible impact that our Open Doors local partners are having uh, as they, up and down the Nile, uh, are are equipping the church, working across denominations, seeing discipleship um, take place, seeing Christians cared for off the back of great suffering. Uh, it really was a privilege just to see the way that uh, our brothers and sisters are being strengthened um, through this ministry. Uh, this uh, next photograph is uh, a photo I took inside um, old Islamic Cairo in an 11th century mosque. Uh, this mosque is called the Al-Hakim Mosque. Uh, while we were kind of seated in the inner courtyard of this mosque, uh, our tour guide, he quietly told us the story of Al-Hakim. Al-Hakim was the caliph, that is the Muslim ruler, um, back in the 11th century. And yet he was a brutal leader, known by some as the mad caliph, uh, known by some as the Nero of Islam. And Al-Hakim had a strange fixation on obliterating, destroying Christianity. Christians were under so much pressure under his reign. Now, Christians who chose not to convert to Islam had three further choices. Uh, number one, be killed. <laughs> number two, stay home. Or number three, only leave your home if you are willing to wear a heavy iron cross around your neck. Christians in the time of Al-Hakim chose the cross. That makes sense, right? Jesus has said anyone who comes after him must carry their cross. These believers literally had to carry their cross anytime they went out and about. And it literally left a mark. The weight of the cross, the chain around their neck, um, meant that they had a, a kind of a permanent mark on the back of their neck. They were ridiculed uh, by those who weren't Christians. They were called blue bones because of the mark on the back of their neck. Uh, but again, these brothers and sisters, rather than kind of shrinking back from that, they took the insult as an honour to be considered worthy to suffer disgrace for Jesus' sake. You know, our tour guide had been pretty careful the whole time we were in there, uh, just talking uh, fairly quietly uh, as he shared some of these stories with us. But as he drew things to a conclusion, he invited us to lean in further and listen carefully to his whisper. And he said these unforgettable words. He said, look up. Every stone in this mosque has witnessed the killing of Christians. And yet here we are talking about Jesus and the ongoing spread of Christianity to this day. You know, throughout history, Egyptian Christians who refused to convert to Islam, kind of beyond Al-Hakim, they didn't have to keep wearing the big heavy chains around their neck. Uh, but around that same time, uh, Christians uh, had a, a cross that was tattooed on their wrist by the authorities uh, they're forced to pay a tax and you're stamped, you're branded with a cross on your wrist. And yet, rather than shrinking back from this symbol, subsequent generations of Christians, it's no longer a government thing that happens in Egypt, but 99.9% .9 of Christians in Egypt 
actually choose, across denominations, choose to mark their bodies with the cross, saying that they are unashamed to belong to Christ crucified. It may no longer be an expectation from the government, and yet it becomes a normal expectation that this is just what Christians do. And immediately, by having this cross tattooed on their wrist, uh, it comes with extra risk, it comes with extra chances of discrimination, and indeed, fiery persecution. On the 26th of May, 2017, uh, mother of six, Nadia, her life, uh, as she knew it, was shattered. Uh, Nadia boarded a bus, just like this one, with relatives to travel to the monastery of St. Samuel uh, in Minya uh, in Egypt. Uh, we didn't go to this particular uh, monastery, but we went near it uh, to a different monastery. But among those on the bus uh, were uh, Nadia's son, Haney, uh, and Nadia's son-in-law, Sama. And as they arrived on the street where the monastery um, was situated, Nadia saw uh, something that was very familiar, men in military clothing outside the monastery. She thought that they were there to protect the monastery. But the opposite was true. Uh, these men shot the tires of the bus and then entered the bus, and what followed uh, was a shocking attack of violence and brutality. Here's what Nadia said about what took place that day. She said, um, my son-in-law, Summer." was sitting in the front of the bus. They turned towards him first. They ordered him to convert to Islam. But my son-in-law showed the cross tattoo on his wrist and said, no, I will not. I am a Christian. And then he was shot. The terrorists then demanded the same of all the men on the bus, forcing each one of them to make a choice between denying their faith or being shot. And then the intruders stopped at, at Haney and from her place in the back of the bus... Her heart was gripped with fear as Nadia watched the scene unfold. And yet Haney likewise raised his wrist and Nadia witnessed the last words of her son, No, I am a Christian. And he too was shot and killed. On the screen we have a photograph of Nadia and a photograph of that Nadia is holding of her son Haney and her son-in-law Summer. This was um, taken by one of our Open Doors local partners. Not long after this tragic event took place, um, uh, we were introduced uh, to Nadia and we had the opportunity to support her in her time of need, uh, to provide her with the resources and the care and the trauma counselling and just the encouragement to keep going and to keep trusting Jesus even in the face of such a horrible moment. But listen to these um, incredible words that Nadia said uh, to one of our team. She said, maybe you think I would rather have seen my son make a different choice. And of course, as a mother, I'm terribly sad and angry because I lost my son. But I'm happy that I witnessed the faith I raised him in. I am thankful that he wouldn't deny Christ even with his life in danger. He made the right choice and that has been a huge comfort to me. Isn't that incredible? You know, and as uh, Nadia shared her story uh, with, with uh, some of our local partners there uh, on the ground in Egypt, um, her story then was shared across the world. And something of her bold and resilient faith in the face of such horrible circumstances. And her story has become an encouragement to many people. And I love these words that she said as she learnt just of the impact of her faith upon the global church. She said this, It's good to hear that those who died for their faith didn't only make us in Egypt proud, 
but that they also made other Christians proud by not renouncing their faith. Um, I'm very glad that these people are standing with us and support us. They are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we love them so much. May God bless them. Isn't that wonderful? And there's a very real sense in which um, as, as Nadia, uh, as her story is shared, we are encouraged. And as we are encouraged, she's encouraged that we're standing with her, that the Christians around the globe are uniting together, mourning with one another, suffering with one another, and holding out our hope in Christ together with one another. On our um, second last day of uh, our time in Egypt, uh, we went to this extraordinary place called Cave Church, which uh, there's all sorts of stories I could tell you about this particular place. Um, But uh, at this particular place, having kind of just been really struck by the story of the cross uh, and the Egyptian cross and the way that Christians were willing to mark themselves out with the cross of Christ in such a tangible, costly type of way. Uh, A bunch of people from our team actually uh, in a little tattoo booth outside this church up on the screen. Uh, We also got marked with the Egyptian cross upon our wrists as a reminder of what it costs for our brothers and sisters in Egypt to follow Jesus and what it costs likewise for us to follow Jesus too. And you know, as we um, departed from uh, Cairo late at night, uh, I remember arriving to Cairo International Airport the day after we got these tattoos and uh, actually being really self-conscious. It took us about 90 minutes to get from the foyer kind of through the, 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 uh, the security process. And I, I remember early on in that 90 minutes looking down and realising I'm, I'm wearing a cross in a place where people are treated with hostility for having a cross on them. People don't even notice this particular cross in Australia and it's not quite the same as the crucifix that we often see uh, on church walls and on church buildings uh, here in Australia. But I'm there just really conscious that I'm a little bit uncomfortable. This is a place where having this symbol actually leads to discrimination, actually leads to being singled out and in some cases, like for Nadia's son and son-in-law and 22 other men on that particular day, it can lead to death simply because you belong to Jesus. For for me personally, I've been walking with the persecuted church for maybe 25 years. I've been interested in the stories of how God is at work in the persecuted church. But for those 90 minutes of getting from the foyer and kind of through security, were probably the closest I feel like I've been able to walk in the shoes of a persecuted believer. Nothing happened to me. Uh, I was trusting God. um, And if something happened, something would have happened. But It was a moment just to be identified with those who are identified with the the crucified one, who are likewise marked out by the cross of Christ. You see, what we've considered tonight is we've considered the Christ and what it means for Jesus to be the king, the king who suffers and dies. We've considered the call of what it means to follow after him, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow Jesus Um, And finally, and most briefly, we consider the confidence. We are in a time right now where, uh, my guess is, if you've been a Christian for a little while, uh, you can see the shifts within Western culture, you can see the shifts within Australian culture, you can see the shifts within, uh, within how Christians are treated here in Australia. While we may not be threatened by death, while, while that may not be about to be martyrdoms and, and mass killings in our country, 
I know that in this room there are those of us who may feel that eroding religious freedom, feel some of the pressure in our schools of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I know in workplaces there's an increasing discrimination against people of of the Christian faith. And yet, brothers and sisters, I want to urge you to have great confidence as you face the future, as you follow the call of Christ. Very briefly, have a look with me at verse 24. It says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. You see, trusting in Christ and following his call will will lead to great confidence in the future. Yes, we lose our lives now, but we save them for eternity. We die to ourselves and to this world, but like Jesus was raised from the dead, we too will be physically raised when Jesus comes in glory. The cross before the crown, death before resurrection, suffering before glory, but the crown, resurrection and glory is certainly coming for those who follow the call of Christ. We can have confidence of salvation. We can have confidence of life and a world and an eternity without pain, uh, even though there's trials and tribulations to get there. And you know what? I think the persecuted church are a wonderful example for us in Australia. An example as they follow Christ, as they count the cost as they consider the pressure upon them simply because they're marked by the cross of Jesus. You know, there's almost this um, brave faith of our persecuted brothers and sisters that, what, 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 let's, let's break it down. What's the worst that someone can actually do to you? Kill you? Well, we've got a living hope. We've got a resurrection hope. We will instantly be with Jesus in his presence, tears wiped away. You know, what does it cost to follow, be a follower of Christ? Well, it costs everything, but it's worth it. Jesus is the Christ. He gives us the call to follow him, and then following him leads to confidence for the future, safe and secure because he lives, because he died, because he rose again. Our brothers and sisters can teach us to embrace this call. They really are living examples of being unashamed to belong to Christ crucified, And so, friends, I want to urge you to consider not how to go and get a tattoo as quickly as possible. You're welcome to do that, uh, but don't hear that as the instruction. But what does it look like to have your life marked by the cross of Christ? To actually walk in the way of suffering, to walk in a way where it's noticed, to walk in a way where it's uncomfortable. Now, the Christian tradition that I'm uh, part of does a beautiful thing um, in the baptism service. This is um, a... Uh, kind of a little moment in the baptism service um, where, where the pastor will say, I sign you with the sign of the cross. And it's like this charge. It's like a blessing. It's like a firing up. Um, it's, a, it's a call to arms. And I sign you with the sign of the cross to show that you're to be true to Christ crucified and that you're not to be ashamed to confess your faith in him, to fight bravely under his banner against sin, the world and the devil, and to continue Christ's faithful soldier and servant to your life's end. Isn't that? I I love that. And I, I love baptism services for a thousand reasons. 
Uh, but I love personally when I baptize people kind of as they come up out of the water, being able to kind of, I sign you with the sign of the cross. You belong to Christ crucified. Your life is no longer your own. Now go live it. Be unashamed to fight under his banner. Be unashamed to belong to him. Friends, if you belong to Christ crucified, let me urge you tonight to be unashamed to belong to him to be unashamed to count the cost of suffering and yet to keep following him no matter the cost look if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're, you're here tonight uh, and you want to kind of have your life marked out with the cross of Christ for the very first time please uh, talk to one of the team uh, likewise come and talk to me after the service but look as before we close out with some music uh, can I invite you to stand right there where you are and I actually want to, um, I don't want to do a mass baptism of everyone, uh, but I think these words are so powerful that I don't think they have to be just done at a baptism service. I, I kind of, in, in some sense, want to charge you uh, and sign you with the sign of the cross. Uh, and so, brothers and sisters, I sign you with the sign of the cross to show that you are to be true to Christ crucified and that you're to not be ashamed to confess your faith in him. Fight bravely under his banner against sin, the world and the devil and continue Christ's faithful soldier and servant to your life's end. Amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.